and welcome to Real Indigenous, where these Indigenous people get real about what's on our screen and everything in between. With me, bringing thoughts, feelings, and critical minds are... Monica Brain. Hey, everyone. Maduwika, Sunrise. And tonight, we are going to talk about Season 4, True Detective, super excited. I can't wait. We're three episodes in at this point, three of five. The series stars Jodie Foster and Kaylee Reese. Is that how you say your last name? And it takes place in the fictional tundra town of Innis, Alaska, which I have some thoughts about that, and features my people, the Inupiaq. What? It's about it's so time. I know, it's so crazy. Pretty heavily, in, like, everywhere in this. The showrunner is Isa Lopez. And it's been several years since season three. Isn't that right? Yeah, 2019, I think, was season three. Which was still showrun by Nico Pazzolato. So that was season three, 2019. Also HBO. I don't know if it had an undertitle like this one has Night Country. <clears throat> yeah, Night Country. Yeah. So I'm going to give a shout out to the official podcast, which is helmed by the host of Coffee and Quack, Alice Glenn. So please listen to it. Go go tune in. Uh, the first three episodes that she's covered, she's done a lot of interviews with the stars with the director and this most recent episode the third episode is one of my favorites because they talk a lot she talks with her sister who does a lot of research in the arctic on climate change and so they have a, a really great discussion in episode three about all of the changes that are happening up there so i highly recommend it and let's see isa lopez was born in mexico and is known for Tigers are not afraid. Secondary right. effects. Casi divas. Yeah, and yep. Tigers not afraid is is like a dark horror story. There's like ghosts and there's violence and there's cartels and so to me it makes sense how she was selected for this series based on that particular film. So you like the tone, the style. You might want to go watch that film. Tigers are not afraid. Also, there's this actress in it. Her name's Jodie Foster. I don't know if you guys have seen Silence of the Lambs, but so good. So good. Oh, what's that? I haven't heard of that. What is it? <laughs> you guys want to hear my Buffalo Bill impression? Yes, of course. Okay. Okay, wait. <laughs> isn't she like isn't she like that great big fat person? <laughs> I used to have that on my dating profile. <laughs> I thought it was so I know and and one of my friends was like can we talk about that like what because I was asking for some feedback and and he was like that's a deep cut and <laughs> I, I'm, I I was really excited to watch this because I actually didn't know there was gonna be a, any native characters in it or anything because I did no research or anything I just I saw that you had assigned us we were doing a show about it but I was excited because it's Jodie Foster. So, so I remember Jodie Foster from all of her Disney movies. Yeah. She, she has Disney movies? Oh, she was yeah, she started star. as a Disney star. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. like as a kid. Yeah, yeah. like Freaky Friday. Oh, and, uh, in fact, shoe in, fact or... in this, I see so much of that actress. Yeah. I mean, I was just like, wow, this is a throwback. This isn't Clarice Starling at all. This is no. <laughs> this is old school Jodie Foster. Well, anyway, I think we should talk more about the the native characters, the natives in the... I didn't mean so, to interrupt. <clears throat> we still haven't... So the first episode opens and to me it was it was a pretty creepy one because well i mean you know there's a spoiler alert if you haven't watched it stop here because watch we're the episodes yeah, watch, watch the episode episodes. one through three and then come back and then, come back. <laughs> and then press on pause because the one-eyed polar bear shows up three times right in the first episode three times i believe right are you talking about in a stuffy form also Stuffy form, yeah. Stuffy. There's like memory. There's the stuffy form in in the presence, present, and then there's the actual actual bear or, or an actual bear mm-hmm. walking the streets at night. Which let me tell you, when you're up there and there's a bear out, you the streets clear. I mean, there's an alarm. If you, you get that, you, that's an apex predator. Sure. No, no kidding. Have you been there when that bear alarm has gone off and? that's happening i have never traveled that far north the, okay especially in winter i've been to the arctic circle because we drove up from fairbanks up to the arctic circle but it was july and you know uh-huh. it was sunny we had the air conditioner on not like this at all uh-huh. i did notice when they were doing the scenes there were mountains and i was like wait a minute this definitely was not shot in alaska Turns out it was not. It was in Iceland. But they had a crew and a crew that was used to shooting in extreme weather. So logistics-wise, it made sense. Right. So Kaylee Reese is the Inupiaq character, who's half Dominican and half Inupiaq. Evangeline Navarro. Evangeline Navarro. Alaska State Trooper. But she used to work with Liz Danvers, who is Jodie Foster's character. There's yes. so much to unpack in these episodes. Yes. I've watched them three times and I see something new every time. We watched a scene in my creative writing class and I saw something whole new, a whole new thing because, you know, Liz Danvers is working in this sheriff's department and she's got this kid working for her. And like this right. whole scene where Peter. you're introduced to them, Peter. The phone's ringing. She knocks over her coffee. He's helping her. Yeah. I mean, it's like the perfect introduction to their relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so that's there's such great choreography there. Almost the first episode, it's almost like there are always kind of three things happening. One related to some sort of incident of accident. And then there's like a need to like adjust or clean up and then continue on with whatever the um, the need is. That's related to some sort of investigative or like procedural need. And that's that's an example with the, the coffee. And then she has to quickly like start continue talking to somebody on the phone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he's cleaning up. It feels that feels very similar to like the moment of the woman that is Driving drunk drunk and be yeah, drunk yes. and yeah, and is screaming to get out. And they have to like figure out how to handle the screaming and then family drama and then deal with like getting files that they need that are at um, Henry, the father's office. 
Yeah, that was very interesting. Just like getting to know this environment. And it works on a larger level where it seems like there's these accidents that seem to happen. Like that drunk driver, an accident that just happened right in front of them. And it seems to recall an accident that has occurred in the past that we keep getting glimpses of. Whether it's one accident and it involved Liz Danvers, Evangeline Navarro, or if it was two separate ones. But it seems like that episode, there's like a brief flash to like another accident. And then there's another one that happens in the second episode. And then there seems to be like flashes when some of the characters are walking up to a crime scene. It seems like there's flashes to a previous scene that feels like it's also accident related. And somehow all of those seems to be related to whatever happened between all of these characters and this like Danvers relationship with a young child that seemed to be either Nupiak or mixed race in a different kind of like tone and lifestyle and maybe even relationship to her community. But yeah, it seems like it kind of like that first episode prepares us for these themes and these motifs of accidents that seem to happen. And they're, they don't seem to be intentional, but they just seem to be the result of like cramped space of maybe unhealthy ways in which to manage living in the darkness in cramped spaces in environment. Everybody seems to know your business and the high stress of all of those things. Feels like the, the accidents come from those things. It seems like. I don't know if that's what, what, what it's like up there. I have no idea. <clears throat> but it feels like if that's what it's like, I feel like I understand it. And everybody's cramped spaces, like related to all this. Like, all these spaces feel so cramped. Well, you know? building materials are just prohibitively expensive. Supplies are prohibitively expensive. I mean, they go to the grocery store, you know, and it's what, $22 for a package of cookies? Which, right. which is true. I mean, right. it's hard to get anything up there, especially in the dead of winter. And then the fact that we kind of, when we see the spaces of the homes, it's like we see the stacks of whatever the yeah. food is that's being gathered and stored. And it's always like processed foods, drinks. I was going to point that out because mm -hmm. I remember doing a show on Native America Calling where they were talking about like the the high rates of taking kids out of the homes and, and like the social workers would come in. And there was one story of like, looking at a big, big cases of ramen and, and being like, well, you're not feeding your kids right or whatever. And not understanding, you know, so many things about like life in Alaska. Right. You know? Right. And there it's like, it's the environment. That's what Danvers says is that like, it's the community. It's the city of Ennis that has like killed Annie. And it's like the city is what's killing these people, putting them in these positions, you know, like they can't, they can't eat salmon <laughs> or like there's fewer fish because of the mining. Right. And um, of course, like if the mine goes away, there'll be even less sustenance and it'll kind of perpetuate one way or another. And the sort of idea of the spiral kind of like seems to relate to some of these things. And all that feels like it's calling back the symbolisms of the first season that everybody loved and the sort of like getting stuck in cycles. And mm. I was also curious about, Public public safety is a, is a huge issue in Alaska. There's villages that don't they don't have police departments, you know. So that we have this white cop. I mean, there's like there just seems to be for I can't gauge the size of the town, but there just seems to be like way more police enforcement than <laughs> is the reality. And and I get that that's the vehicle of telling the story and stuff like that, but like. What a great opportunity to talk about the 
um, they call them village police officer DPSOs or something like that. And it's basically individuals who are mm -hmm. helping police their own communities who, who don't have like formal police training and things like that. I mean, we see a little bit about that with the jurisdictional fight, like we're going to send this back to Anchorage and, and stuff like that. But that part was really interesting to me. A lot of this kind of reminds me of Killers of the Flower Moon. Hmm. Because of natural resources, because of the indigenous population being, um, what's the word I'm looking for, extorted, you know, mm -hmm. because of the, their water is being poisoned. There's fewer crabs to pick. Their children are being stillborn, you know. There's all of this violence being placed upon the indigenous people because of mineral extractions. And you just don't know who the wolf is, right? That was the whole trailer. We don't know and, who the wolf is yet. Yeah. Yeah. And that, but there's also like the human factor of them as a resource, right? We're hearing cleaning women talk because they're the ones that are taking care of the spaces. Or they're, they're also the same women that are like uh, doing the dirty work of making the crabs edible. Um, and so they're like in line for like industry as well as like cleaning up probably after the industry. Right. And then we hear that they're, you know, like Annie was a midwife. And then we are hearing all of these kind of like service jobs. So it feels like those seems to be the uh, other side of like a resource that's related to the indigeneity in the space where it seems like everybody else that is not indigenous. They're like, you know, like they're at the bar or you know, they're getting into fights, which are not necessarily or they're trying to maintain a sense of control from like somewhere else like coming in from Anchorage or. You know how like you'll watch a show or or a movie or something that's got native themes in it, native issues, and it kind of feels like, you know, the person who created it read a couple of articles and they were like, you're not going to believe what is going on on this reservation. And then they like kind of throw everything in. This one doesn't feel that way. It feels like these are like legit issues that are not added they're not like extra spark plugs in the car to tell this story. And we have this crazy, spooky murder thing. I don't know what it is. I have no idea. I'm not even going to guess going on. And I, I can't, I can't look away. Like, and it doesn't feel like a chore to watch either. You know, like sometimes. <laughs> do you ever feel that way? You're just like, I, mean, I just need a break. I need there's a break. No, yeah, there's no cringe. There's no poverty porn. There's not. It's yeah. It's like our legit issues, but also this really interesting story that's being told, yeah. and those layers of the onion for each of the characters that you keep peeling back. I feel like the things that we're talking about here are about like environment and sort of like maybe the subtext of like what's motivating these characters. And it feels like that's what allows it to feel like that it's not tacked on. That it's like all these things make sense. These feel like issues that exist in this world that we understand. And they all have a real bearing on why people make decisions or why they're in a psychological or emotional space. And that's really interesting because it feels like those are motivating factors for a lot of people. And certainly indigenous people who are motivated by like an understanding of space and community and the things that you're sharing the environment with. It feels like it's... Um, taking all those things into account. And this feels 
perhaps like killers also maybe spending time you know like the podcast does talk about that how they spent some time used to spend some time in the environment i'm curious i haven't heard the last episode but i'm curious if the collaboration when it comes to the writing and there are indigenous producers with relationship to alaska and alaska mediation i'm just curious how that has found its way into all these things but it feels like it's resultant in a positive experience for us yeah i mean two of the producers are listed that are indigenous to alaska and they did have a council of five inupiaq consultants that consulted with isa lopez and gave her food feedback and talked to her about you know when it would be appropriate to use language and you know the opening scene where all of the caribou go over the the edge was mm-hmm. originally supposed to be elk and you know everybody was like that no that's that's not a thing and so it's just it's just those little touches i think that are are really fun and to me that means that they actually listened you know, mm-hmm. it's another case, like with Uncle Marty, <laughs> that people listened and it, and the story is richer because of it. Yeah, I mean, even down to the detail of like the tongue and like the lacerations or like the repeated action of like mending the fishing tools because of the tongue action. That's something it feels like you only know because of things that you've experienced in the space or stories that you've heard from people who have lived this life. And and the fact that it's not only in the film or the episodes, but it's also like something that hinges on our understanding of like how Chief Danvers is observant or not, uh, how much she knows about the culture that she's within or not. And that does give me a, some sense of like trust as a detective and maybe an understanding of where she sits, I guess, in relation to what she knows, because it's she, a very interesting character. Like I just go back and forth about my relationship to her like she it seems to be you know motivated by hate and and by fear and and all these things that she mentions about to her own superior from anchorage about like why he gave her the job and it's because he feared her and was threatened by her and there's also underlying hate and all those things are related to racist behavior but on the other hand she is observant enough to understand what makes the community function, right? She's she's nurturing someone at home enough for the racism not to get in the way of how she functions. And that's a really complicated form of racism to me. Well, and she um, understood what she understood what Aka was saying right at the dinner table. Right. You know, when her stepdaughter was getting her markings. Yes. Tablagung. So yeah. I mean I had a like it was like a gut punch to me when mm-hmm. she grabbed her face and yeah. yelled at her. I just was like, I mean, yeah. I just couldn't breathe for a minute. Mm-hmm. I feel like it does. I mean, if these were real people, when you have a white racist mom, it, it does affect. Maybe she's safe and secure physically, but not emotionally, not mentally. She is not, you know, she shouldn't be raising her. But there's that real sense that they love each other yeah which gets me i mean because when they're in the bathroom having some conversation when liz is about to get in the shower mm-hmm. and leah asks her you know why don't we ever talk about that and 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 after the drunk driver you know they're both so shaken up 
and even though she's been yelling at her liz is like are you okay everything's okay or, you know she goes into very caretaker mode because th- she knows that this is something that's going to trigger leah yeah all those things balancing between care like a personal care versus like this sort of like maybe cultural bias like it feels like that's really how i see racism function and it's not just like the extremities of just like blind hatred of like i hate everything about you i don't know anything about you like that exists but also just like on the daily interactions on the edges of community there's still these forms of racism and oppression and systems of power that somehow are really complicated and that's why it's difficult to also like bring this stuff up and have a conversation about it because it's also like it seems intangible in the real world but whatever they've done here to craft this particular character it it really is interesting how it's able to kind of clarify a realism to that racism that's not just pure hatred and it's well, it is motivated and, by care and yeah, yeah and if i can like add to that when i watched this time when i watched episode three and and liz freaked out about the t-shirt that she sees because leah went to the protest i went just something in her the way she addressed her was like oh she's afraid she's gonna get killed it's not racism it's because she's gonna lose her daughter the way all of these other Anubiac women have been disappearing oh. and i was just like oh yeah yeah that's definitely a parent that's concerned that their child is going to get too far in this world even though like their belief system is maybe something that's important to them like get, getting so far and dying is not worth it for, for whatever it is like that seems like a important parental decision regardless of ideology it feels that way too i felt it exactly what you're talking about mm-hmm. i'm going to bring up the opening sequence the titles <laughs> a lot of water everybody's in the water everybody's in the water and in the first episode darwin is drawing a picture of sedna Mm -hmm. so nyla and i shared the story of sedna and how the people in nineveh they have a very similar story that we have about the birth of marine animals and that comes from sedna and so there's i i think that there's going to be something Mm -hmm. that has to do with water and sedna eventually yeah i mean that makes sense i mean does setna have a gender also is it like you know this yeah, she's, is the, she's a woman yeah okay so like the the fact that you know not only is the bear repeated several times but like this statement of she's awake mm-hmm. right keeps coming up and that's making me wonder about that right and the first time that navarro meets annie is at a birthing center in the water you know there's this life that's coming into the world right, right. that they're fighting for yeah and you know what i mean that that scene in episode three it's also got tanya tagak right so like tanya's music throughout this whole very famous throat singer and just maybe think about throat singing and the idea of you know something coming through you but it also it's like a call and response and you have to have another you have to have a partner right like this seems like it's related to our partners that we're seeing in the in the episodes they need each other there's a call and response somebody finds something the other responds with the response that there's something also that comes out it's like there's the i don't know if it's a third or a fourth party but like what's call, coming with the throat singing is something that is not you right there's the you know something 
whatever spirit or whatever form, right, is coming as a result of that interaction. That's the way I understand it. I mean, a lot of times it's it's a game <clears throat> where you try to make the other one laugh. Sure. Which is, it's really fun to watch. I think Tanya has turned it into a very high art form in, sure. in her performances. And I would, I mean, I've kind of tried to play around with doing it. It's really yeah. hard. I can imagine. But you do have to really dig down deep within yourself uh -huh. to, to be able to have that control of your breath. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's really remarkable. Yeah. I mean, when she's talked about it, she's also talked about like go going to the places you need to go brings things up like just memories and relationships and things that have not been on the conscious mind, I guess. Mm -hmm. And there's like a reconnection. Right. Yeah. So, in that, you know, I guess, you know, there's a spiritual way to think about that, like a very traditional spiritual way to think about like reconnecting with something, you know, I think that's thematically related. I'm bringing all this up because it feels like she's an important figure to think about how energy and how like ideas of the past are coming out and the, the relationship you're developing with the water and the, the waters right now kind of function at a very classic level where it's like this something everybody's functioning above the water right now and there's something under the water that somehow is going to force everyone to think about things differently it's very yeah because we have that scene where her were you thinking the same thing about the boat Chip? Yes. Well, there's the boat, and then she finds the cave, and then Annie finds the caves. The caves at the end of episode three. She's down below, and there's water. She's in an ice cave. Oh, okay. Yeah, there's a tie-in with Jules and Evangeline in that boat. Yeah, that's like shipwrecked, basically. Or yeah, I wanted to know what y'all thought about the sound about all of the music and sound throughout and do you ever like just like listen like close your eyes and if when you're re-watching these episodes and just listen because it just seems really interesting to me but I can't really articulate what <laughs> why <laughs> I hadn't but now I want to is there a moment where you're remembering the your experience with the sound Monica in in the scary moments, there's uh, not a, a specific one. I, well, now I have to go back and only yeah. did it once, watched it once. Yeah. Rookie, rookie move. I'm not really committed here. Not like you. Yeah, guys. I mean, well, well, that's not true. But the scary moments, I mean, classically, if you think about like genres of horror or thrillers, there is often like these deeper tones that filmmakers would place into the soundscape. And if you're like hearing it on large speakers, you'll probably feel it more than you actually hear it. But this, I think there are definitely like lower frequencies. Where you kind of feel a deep something going on. And then there's sometimes there's like in this soundtrack, I remember a lot of wind. It feels like there's clanging of things that are probably on the porches of houses. And then there's, yeah, the music that comes in. The music that I remember the most are kind of like the more pop music if it's not like throat singing spice girls uh, spice girls or the uh get down a night yeah she's like called she called her sister and she was like talking about that one song singing it out loud to her and stuff like that uh -huh. spice girls was it spice girls yeah mm -hmm. that was spice girls <laughs> yeah the classic whatever that song is i don't even know what it's called <laughs> tell me what you want what you really really yeah. want Oh. Yeah, people know the lyrics, but I, is that the what's the title? I don't know what the title is. If you is. want to be my lover. Oh, if you want to be my lover. Right. Okay. 
I'm a little yeah. embarrassed that I know that, but yuck, Angela, <laughs> yuck. But my kid, it was growing up in the '90s, so oh right. <laughs> but it was interesting, like that song. The use of like that's the way I do a little dance song. The Bee Gees seem nope. like it nope. came at a Casey and the Sunshine Band. Oh, it's Casey. Okay. I'm almost embarrassed that I know that too. <laughs> you shouldn't be embarrassed. I'm embarrassed that I got it wrong. But it just it's interesting that like that particular song is like really lifting the mood at the end of that last episode where it seems like the two cops are gonna finally like work together. And that like also there's like a little bit of like family harmony. There's like Peter and Hank. Well, not Hank, but um uh Liz's daughter. Oh, oh. Leah. Yeah, they're like hanging out in front of like the defrosting bodies that also feels like the first season as well that just shocking you know you have to have just a really shocking crime you know oh at the end end of episode one i was just like what the fuck yeah (laughs) yeah i mean it certainly you know feels like the thing it feels like the sections of the thing carpenter's the thing specifically you're kind of uncertain about what you're looking at and it kind of also feels like the diet love pass which i think has been a point of inspiration like the i don't know how familiar you guys are with this real life incident but there's a mysterious circumstance in which these people in i believe it's russia left their camp and ran out and took off their clothes and they were yeah they were frozen in a moment of panic not unlike what we're seeing in this so it's sort of like based i think on a real incident and inspired by that and isa i think has mentioned that particular incident before but um and and that um you know there's no resolve to that particular crime or if it was a crime some people think it's like yeah they don't know there's all the different theories that Mm -hmm. they saw a bear or they had hypothermia that there's ufos that there's bigfoot you know they were drunk yeah, I mean, you know, it could be simple as that. But the, you know, the mystery of it remains and that we're, we're kind of trapped in that here, at least for the first half of this season so far. So my question, since I haven't really, I don't really remember season one. Travis, is he from season one? Travis is not from season one, but his last name, Cole, is the same name as Matthew McConaughey's character, who is Rusty Cole. Oh, yeah, so there's, you know, I'm sure there are fan theories about how those two are related. There are. I had to see the spelling of Cole in the closed captioning. So, like, I didn't catch it the first time. Maya saw episode two before I did, and she mentioned, oh, there's somebody from the past that's coming back. And I was like, okay, well, I paid attention to it. And then I, you know, the rewatch, it was like, okay, this is obviously related. Um, oh, I did not catch that at all. <laughs> yeah. And I guess the swirl is also a throwback. The swirl is also from season one. Yeah. Uh, the swirl the flat- was present flat circle time thing well i mean like he does talk about the flat circle as time but the iconography of the swirl was on one of the bodies in one of the oh in one of the crime scenes of the first season maybe more than one and i think it's also on the wall you know like there's like that derelict church that's sort of like storm destroyed or something but like on i think on the wall there's also like the swirl similar to the ceiling of the trailer right yes which mm-hmm. that trailer was, I mean, the art department, again, killing it, art department. Because mm-hmm. that trailer was bananas. Yeah. What was the body in there? Was that they, just a... I don't know. It, is it a real body? or 
I no, it's not. I like freeze framed it and like was like peeping at it, and I was like, I think it's a it's because you know they've got the effigies or Clark has the effigies hanging from the ceiling of the trailer, and uh-huh. it seems to be just a life sized effigy for some thing because the face there's no face and it's not mummified like you would think it would be in the arctic in the cold i mean it's just it looks like burlap Hmm. and the hands look like burlap and there's not really feet but they haven't really got they didn't really go into that wait is did so you paused it would did the face have anything on it or was it it, oh like the dolls yes okay that was my takeaway I mean, okay. our listeners are welcome to chime in on that. Yeah, <laughs> we are purely speculating now. Now we're just <laughs> adding all kinds of tribes into. <laughs> I love this show so much that I'm just like, that was a Cinnaboyne, a hundred percent. We're just like looking for ourselves in the. <laughs> we want so much to be part of it. <laughs> I do it's so good it's so good and i'm seeing a lot of folks online who are really liking it too oh yeah so i have one other theory i think liz has tinnitus oh from an accident well maybe maybe that's very lovely that's why she's gonna desperately turn off that twist and shout she wants to turn off the twist and shout because that was in the flashback with the little boy Uh but when she first walks into the lab where everybody disappeared somebody says you have to speak up because you can't hear she can't hear you and she says Mm -hmm. i can hear you just fine and then when she's going over all of the evidence she's listening to white noise Mm -hmm. which a lot of my friends that have tinnitus have to have some kind of white noise to counteract right the ringing and so i don't know if they're going to explore that i hope they do but i just picked up on that tonight and i was like oh that's maybe that's why she's listening to these white noise while she's awake because that would put me to sleep i listen yeah i'll listen there's a couple of different kinds of noise like there's brown noise green noise white noise and i'll put any number of those i don't have tinnitus but it's i have to occupy another part of my brain with non-speaking english speaking things so that i can focus on whether it's reading or writing something so I could totally, I, I related to that when I saw that and then she pulled it out. Actually, I don't know if you guys do this, but I look for product placement in particularly in series like this, because uh, how the hell are they paying for this? Right. And so at, for a minute, I was like, Ooh, I wonder if the calm app <laughs> is going to show up <laughs> in this <laughs> so far. I think it's just trucks there's this like long truck commercial before the it's like a search and rescue truck commercial that goes on before you play it if you have like hbo with ads or some food item i've forgotten what it was that i saw but well, it's not it's sailor really, bread <clears throat> it, I, yeah not it's not pilot pilot crackers or whatever That's right. <laughs> but it was like there's a lot of general mills in the background that general I mills yeah yeah mac and cheese they made the mac and cheese and she was like squeezing it in. That's clearly. <laughs> so my theory is it's all about the mines and that Hank is being paid off. But that may be too obvious. What do you guys think? Any fan theories? I mean, I think the mines are. I want this to be paranormal, which it probably won't be in the end. But um, 
I definitely feel like the mines are probably bringing something up. Like they're, you know, the waste is making something angry from the past. That's my hope. I was hoping the Russian girlfriend steals all of Hank's money. Because <laughs> that's that's definitely a little mini plot. Yeah. That they keep making fun of him for, and he was texting her, and he's like, I'll say I have a little bit more cash. And that's probably from the mine stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Right. The mine payoff. Right. Yeah. Again, yeah, something is, is going on there. Obvious. Is it a red herring? <laughs> I'm sure it's something that's happening. The like the people who wrote this are if they ever heard listen to this, they would be like, Man, you guys way overthought this. <laughs> it is interesting that they bring up the idea that the mine owns the rink and that she goes to that uh Liz goes to the owner of that mine and it's this woman sitting in the stands while they're ice hockey and skating practice. And that reminded me of Twin Peaks. Uh, but it also kind of brings back this idea that you're talking about with killers where it's like everybody has some stake involved in like keeping the mine operating or like living off of whatever the mine is feeding and sort of overlooking all the bad stuff that's happening for whatever capitalist reason. Um, but that was very interesting. It just reminded me of the Martell character who owns the mill in Twin Peaks. You know, I, this show really makes me think about Twin Peaks a lot and the thing. And uh, and also this film called the the last winter. I don't know if you guys have seen this, but this is like an eco horror that also takes place in Alaska, and it's like the spirits of the oil uh, that have been brought up through drilling are returning to like enact vengeance upon people because it's like the, you know the world's ending. So what's going to come up are you know the anger that's been bubbling from Mother Nature and from the spirits. So I get a sense of all of these things having some sort of maybe influence on this because there's similar imagery. Oh yeah, the like, thing was the first thing I thought of. Absolutely. How how can I mean and it's on the shelf. As soon as she walks in there, it's like the TV, it's like it's like right behind her shoulder. It's like you can't miss it. Well, um, and I mean, if we're gonna talk <laughs> Easter eggs, when Navarro goes out to visit Kivik, no, what's his name? Yeah, that, I think that's his name. The bar owner? Yes, because he's ice fishing. Kevick. Kevick. He says quid pro quo. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I was like, oh, if I lunch the lamb, snap, snap, snap. Uh -huh. <laughs> that was really fun. Uh, Put the fucking lotion on. Yeah. I uh, yeah. This doesn't have anything to do with the show, I'm pretty sure. But I think it's kind of cool that Liz Danvers has the same name as Captain America in terms of like Danvers. Isn't Danvers the... Captain oh, America's last like name. Dinging in my head. Yeah. Hmm. And that she's a captain, I think, right? Oh. Really probably has nothing to do with any of this, but. <laughs> Should we do predictions? Well, we kind of did predictions already. What are you excited about for the next episode? The ice cave. And yeah. how did she get into the container? How did she get from the ice cave to the container? Like Liz says, there's no voodoo, hoodoo magic about this. There's. There's a reason that it happened. But I mean, like the first season, there is a reason. There's a practical reason. But somebody's motivated by their own belief system to do stuff. Whether that is actually happening or not is up for question. Um, and whether somebody can see it or not. So I feel like there's also going to be like a fantastical thing that someone believes in somehow that made all this stuff happen. I'm I curious how that's going to play. Gonna, 
think somebody's <laughs> going to whistle under the uh, northern lights. Mm, yeah. <laughs> better don't. Yeah. Better don't. It's going to be Leah that does it. Yeah, because she hasn't learned all about her heritage yet. So. She's learning. Yeah. Yeah. I am curious to see how that plays out, like how she mm. comes into her own identity and what else we see through her perspective about embracing her identity and what how she goes through with the finalizing of her markings and, and what's she going to do in terms of the mind. I'm very curious about all that. Yeah, they haven't also really talked about like the village associations or the or the Alaska Native corporations. Corporations, at all. right? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that part is a little bit missing because you know corporations are pretty. Some of them are pretty supportive of mines and mm -hmm. mining. Yes, right. And have a mm -hmm. lot of <laughs> are you know as is their right to maintain mm -hmm. their. But so, you're right. I mean, like it would be interesting to see how that plays out if it does. Yeah. And like yeah. jurisdiction mm -hmm. and how, how different Alaska is. The fact that Alaska only has one reservation and some of that stuff is, and of course you can't, I, I mean, actually, I mean, I think it's in some ways it's good not to hit everything. Cause I, I just can't stand it when they're like, we're going to cover everything, put that story in and that story. And, you know, I mean, this is a missing and murdered indigenous woman story without mm -hmm. them even saying it or doing the red handprint on the face or any of that yeah i find it interesting that it's black yeah before the, the person goes missing rain. also yeah yeah before she yeah. goes missing it's because of the that's their thing for the mind fighting the mind right yeah mm -hmm. yeah that's interesting yeah the mine the people at the mine are involved with annie's disappearance absolutely a hundred percent yeah there is this interesting relationship between Navarro and Rose Agano, the woman that follows. Oh, uh, yeah. I was talking about that. Yeah, but there's like just an interesting sort of interaction that happens, and it, it feels like it's you know just someone with you know experience in life, whether they're an elder or not. She seems to be of an elder's age, imparting information, and just like watching Navarro learn and think, and sort of maybe decolonize. Because uh, it seems like she's also on this journey to reconnect. She seems to be very guarded about her name and what well, she knows yeah. and what she doesn't know about her name and what she reveals to other people about her name, right? And it feels like she's on this other journey, not unlike Leah. And it feels like they sort of parallel each other to some degree. But it felt yeah. like it was a moment where she was like being guided and putting in a position where she has to think about like mental health versus spirituality and she's just sort of listening without having to feel like she's got to fight for something. And that was an interesting moment for that particular character. But that's mm -hmm. something I'm also expecting to see fulfill itself in the next couple episodes is where Navarro feels like she fits in relation to her identity, her community, and, and then the reverse. How does the community relate yeah. to that? Yeah, I'm know? looking I'm looking forward to that too, to see. Yeah, I could totally relate because when he asked her her name, and she... Because you have to get your name from a, a female family member. Uh -huh. And, you know, I, I don't have that. She doesn't have that. And, mm -hmm. you know, she grew up in Boston. I grew up in Oklahoma. So I was like, Ugh, this is a little too close to home. <laughs> That's very interesting, though, that like this has been able to allow you to identify with somebody who has similar. There's a lot of us down here, you know, yeah. that have been adopted out of community. Or removed for work or I mean right I'm always surprised when I meet another Inupiaq 
Yeah. But but Arctic Slope Regional Corporation has meetings all over the lower 48 because there's so many of us shareholders down here. Sure. And I mean, know, just the fact that this series then is able to like communicate that, that specific circumstance, it feels like that. It seems like it's a first. I don't know if that's true or not, but I've certainly never seen it before. That's All of amazing. the Inupiaq films, you know, are usually in Inupiaq, set mm -hmm. in the tundra. Fast mm -hmm. Runner, not the Outsiders. What's the what was the one at Native Crossroads? Slashback. No, no. Oh, the searchers. You're talking about the searchers. It's yeah. just searchers. Oh, okay. Yeah. Searchers. Yeah, to distinguish from the searchers. They haven't really talked about it, but like I'm assuming that her character is half black and half Inupiaq. Dominican. Oh, Dominican, they said. Mm -hmm. Or is that the actress? No, she's Menomin. No. She's Menomin? she's actually from a, a, a unrecognized tribe. She's a boxer. She's never really uh -huh. acted before. The other thing right. that's interesting to me is that she has these piercings on her cheek and they make me feel really uncomfortable looking at them. And I just can't, again, imagine a law enforcement person being allowed to have that. <laughs> but maybe what anything goes in Alaska. Yeah. They do have, they do have the, I think it's, but I always think it's mostly the men. And I, this is probably wrong since I'm, I'm not that familiar with it, but they do have those like right here under your nose towards your, the corner of your mouth. Piercings? Uh -huh. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And I want to say I, it's mostly men because the women have the face tattoos. Mm-hmm. I think she do, she's doing a really great job, the the actress. I mean, obviously, Jodie Foster is also doing a great job. <laughs> <laughs> they, they all pretty much are. But yeah, the, these two leads, yeah, especially if, if Callie has not had that much on-screen for fiction. Yeah. yeah, on her um, Instagram, it says, see a conch Wampanoag. A Wampanoag, yeah. Well, you know, I think it's interesting that the, there's nihilism that's very much like the first season in mm. both of the characters. And it feels like, again, it feels like that's related to the space. I don't know if we want to talk about any of that, but it feels like that's something. Um, well, in the interview, she definitely decided that she wanted to be complete. Issa Lopez definitely wanted to be the exact opposite of previous seasons. And you can't get more opposite than Eternal Night in the Arctic. Right. Although it's not all that opposite because it's also like, I mean, the space that they're in, both spaces are influenced by these industries that are extracting from the earth, right? Those things need to be constants. And then there's also just sort of like these systems of like systemic oppression of like gender seems to be like in both spaces. So even though it's like day versus night and like earthy and warm versus cold, there's still like these systems that putting these people in these positions that seems to be what a lot of this whole true detective universe is like do we know how the show is doing in terms of you know i mean the first season was people raved about right and got critically critical acclaim second season was dumpster fire in my opinion and i've yet to finish the third season so <laughs> Do you think that, I mean, adding the whole thing of like night country and all of, and her saying like getting, not getting rid of the showrunner, well, swap, you know, new showrunner. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's these are two nice. female. I mean, this is the other opposite is it's two female. Yeah. Detectives yeah. Versus the male. But and is it like, they were like, 
I just wonder if HBO is like, get this one right. Or do, do we know how, what, what was the, the feedback on season three? I don't know what the season, the feedback of season three is. I really don't. I'm going to look up the tetometer. Is that what we call it? Um, for, I guess, season three, but. What's the tetometer? What's that? It's like the Rotten Tomatoes meter. Right? Oh, it got an 84% season three okay. with a 51% audience score. So okay. more That's critically in favor, right, than the audience. That, uh, if, if you haven't watched that one, have either of you watched uh, season I haven't one? finished it I yet. You haven't finished it, yeah. It's it's interesting. I guess just as a maybe a fan of the series, I enjoyed it. Um, I enjoyed the performances. I enjoyed questions about time and memory. I think those things were... Uh, very engaging. Um, I enjoyed the cast. I did too. Know. Yeah. So Even Stephen Dorff. Like I didn't think I would like him, but I, yeah, <laughs> he was engaging in that. What does the tetometer say about season two? Season two. Let's see. So Vince, Colin Farrell, Vaughn. Right. It, it is a forty-seven percent in the tomato meter tetometer, and it's a twenty-two percent audience score. Oh, dumpster fire. Yeah, oh. it's a splat. It was terrible. I was so disappointed. <laughs> yeah. compared, to, compared to season one, which was 91% certified fresh versus an 88% audience score. That's pretty high. Night Country right, right now is at a 93%. Yeah. And a 67% audience score. So not quite the same as, as the original, somewhere between the first season and the third season. With the audience right now yeah yeah i have a feeling i'm just guessing that hbo execs are like you can have one more shot at this but somebody else is gonna run it this better be good or we're done yeah especially with the new ownership yeah sure yeah absolutely and, and so far the comments just like i mean this is just rotten tomato comments these are just audience members anybody right they seem to be polarized like love or just like hate and I'm sure the hate could be for all sorts of conventional reasons. They're um, just like butthurt boys that are like, nothing was like the first season. Too dark. I can't see what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> it's too cold. I mean, it, yeah. I mean, like this, this Brent R on Rotten Tomatoes, his, he's got, he gave it a one star on January, January 31st. He says, quote, overly complicated just to be complicated. No one is relatable and only some are likable. Throw in some supernatural because your story is weak and boring. That seems to be yeah. a pretty, you know. Well, Brett, I'm sure that's not relatable to you. That's why we watch movies. But I mean, like other people seem to love the cast, like Tom O from the same date. He says, enjoying the season quite a lot. Jodie Foster, Kelly Ray's are both so great and work so well off of each other. And John Hawks and Christopher Eggleston and Fiona Shaw. Come on, the entire cast is strong. The story is compelling. Complex relationships. It has just the right dose of what the f is going on? Uh, I agree a lot with that. Mm -hmm. I do too. Yeah. yeah. Well, it seems like we're all invested enough to see the next episode at least. Should we come back and talk about it? <laughs> yeah, we're, we're going to wait three. Come back three more. Anymore. Is it three or two? Is it five total? Or I think six? there are. I think there are only five episodes for some I think reason. There's only five. Yeah. Like Echo. Uh, oh no, there are six episodes. The sixth episode will air on February 18th. Oh okay. So yeah, so we're halfway come back through. And talk about the the next three. See if our predictions came true. Let's see if let's see if um Captain Danvers learns not to be racist. 
or if she's motivated by the love of her child, her stepchild. Let's, yeah. The reunification with the with the love of her child will change her heart. <laughs> and it will find out what exactly happened on that domestic call that the two of them went on. Yeah, we will. Because the visual didn't match the audio. Oh, I think they killed someone and buried the body and they're just not I talking about loved it. that. I don't know. I can't remember who directed that one, but hearing the story and seeing something completely different, I loved that. That was episode three. Right. Yeah, I mean, Issa yeah, Lopez gonna... seems to have been directing all of them. That's awesome. I'm gonna rewatch all of it. Burr. Yeah. Very cool. <clears throat> do we want to do before we go? Do we want, and I want to identify these indigenous people involved that we know besides the cast? Let's do a call out. Well, let's give a holler to Marjorie Kunek Tabone, who was one of the five people on the Inupiaq Advisory Council. Also, a tattoo sure. artist. Yeah. Not sure who else was part of that five. Princess Johnson <laughs> and Kathy Rexford. So they're those are two of the producers. They got producers. I think also, yeah, Kathy Rexford, right. She's in Nupiac descent. I think also Blake Brown, who's worked for OCO before in Res Dogs. Princess Johnson. Who works on Molly. And Spirit Rangers, right? She's like a voice or something. And Spirit Kitty. Spirit Super Kitties. Super Kitties. So she works with Vera. Starbard on Super Kitties, which they work together on Molly also. Any other names pop out? Hopefully, if there are more, we'll identify them maybe in the next episode if we've overlooked anyone. Yeah, and if you know of anybody that worked on it and that we should give a shout out to, please let us know. It is nice to see a woman of color handling this series. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, Lisa Lopez is indigenous, so... I mean, it's, it, it seems like it's directly related to a lot of the themes that are in the series as well. Just those that see versus those that overlook. And right now it seems like it's related to gender and maybe also indigeneity. And it seems like those are what push, you know, Navarro to be able to see things, point things out. It feels like uh, one thing that Danvers, Danvers also sees the same things, but somehow is like avoids addressing them for all sorts of reasons but it's interesting dynamic but the, the it seems like all the men don't see these things well i just finished watching american nightmare so on to another my, my opinion on male investigators is pretty low after watching that <laughs> what's True that detective. about it's a documentary on netflix about a woman who was kidnapped and assaulted and how the kept calling her the gone girl case and said that she made the whole thing up. And then turns out that it was all real. And it was another female investigator who finally put all the pieces together and caught the guy that was kidnapping and assaulting all these women. There's literally another story almost exactly like that. This guy wasn't kidnapping though. He was just coming in and assaulting women and it was this girl who had been in foster care and they told her basically because of their interview techniques convinced her she had made it up and even she even got on probation for making it up and then later he was a serial rapist and they they got it from you know like from the dna and it was a whole netflix series as well i cannot believe there's more than one of these stories I mean, of course I can believe it, but... Really? I was going to say, really? <laughs> Just disgusted. 
Yeah, what is that series? I feel like I, I saw episodes of that. I read the the ProPublica article that it was based on, ah. but it was um, but just the dismissive nature of these male investigators is just ugh, ugh, ugh. except on Brooklyn Nine Nine. <laughs> but they had a bunch unbelievable. of investigators, yeah, in that show. In in it was called Unbelievable, and it was the same thing: female investigators who came in and just said something's not right here. Yeah. On CBS, Unbelievable from 2019. Oh, it was on CBS. Or CBS produced it. I guess it's also distributed on Netflix. Both of these shows. Oh yeah, yeah. Unbelievable is a fiction series, uh, whereas American Nightmare is is a documentary series, right? Correct. It's, but it's based on a true story, and it was pretty pretty damn right. close to the ProPublica article I read. Right. I'm hoping that was ProPublica I read. Let me look. Unbelievable. Oh, no. it doesn't Unbelievable. matter. Unbelievable. Tony Collette as Detective Grace Rasmussen. If we talk about Alaska Daily, RIP, amazing mm -hmm. show, you know, the number of MMIW in Alaska is mind-numbing. You know, that final episode where they had it up graphically on the map, you just... It makes you sick. Hashtag believe her. Yeah. yeah, right. Yes. So on that note, thanks for listening. We had a great time talking about this amazing show, True Detective, and season four. And remember to find us on socials, Facebook, Real Indigenous Podcast, Twitter, at Real underscore Indigenous, Instagram, Real Indigenous Pod. We do have a Patreon somewhere. And thanks to our hosts for joining us. And remember, don't just keep it real. Keep it real. Real indigenous. We did it. Does the conducting help? Yeah. <laughs> indigenous. <laughs> Patreon slash Patreon.com slash real indigenous podcast.